listener, and welcome to Michael and Ethan in a Room with Scotch. Except today, it's still Michael and Ethan, but we're in two rooms, and I'm not with Scotch. Are you with Scotch, Michael? I am, actually. Except my Scotch is uh, in a mixed drink. (laughs) Well, that's clearly wrong. Anyway, (laughs) I'm Ethan Bartlett, and this is my guest, Michael Lilienthal. Hi! Say hi, Michael. Uh, Hi, Michael. (laughs) Thank you, Michael. Uh, we are recording, uh, our homework special for this quarter. Uh, mm-hmm. it's a, it's a special episode, and as you know, gentle listener, on special episodes, there are no rules, it's anarchy, uh, world order breaks down, it's the purge, but it's forever and not just for 24 hours, and everyone <laughs> dies. I don't know, I haven't seen the purge. Like, I haven't either. So I just know that about them. Um, so today, what's that? No, I was agreeing with you. Oh, That's okay. all I know about them, too. Thank you. Uh, we are correct, though. Yep. Um, wow, I just got rid of my... I just... Okay, we're back. I just uh, <laughs> made a gesture and pulled my earbuds out of my ear, so I stopped being able to hear Michael, and without Michael, I don't have life. But nobody tell him I said that. Um, oh hey, I just put my headphones back in. What I miss? Uh, nothing. I we're it's all fine here now. How are you? <laughs> Great. I'm good. <laughs> good. <laughs> um, so today uh, we have. Well, um, I guess first we should. Are we gonna have Karen read the rules, even though there are no rules? I mean, there are no rules, so I don't think we need her to okay. give her a break. But, like, the rules still apply, except for the Most rules of them. that don't. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, with that extremely good... This is like how, you know, good parenting works, where yep. you sort of imply that there are rules, but you don't tell your children any of the rules, so that Michael and I can now call each other out on literally anything that we say, having broken the rules, and punish each other for it. Exactly. Um, oh. Good. So I guess what yep. we'll do is we'll introduce what we're drinking. Sure. Um, my very good, interesting drink, and Michael's that is clearly wrong. Uh, <laughs> and then we'll get into the homework that we have been sent. Um, so Michael, go ahead and introduce your wrong drink. <laughs> I am drinking an old-fashioned. Um, but with it, scotch? But with scotch. Is that legal? Sure. Uh, scotch and just a dash of vermouth also for extra measure. For extra badness? For extra yumminess. I can hear, like, I've read a bunch of books about, you know, cocktails and how to make good, proper cocktails. And none of the authors of them are dead, but I can hear them in the future rolling over in their grave because of (laughs) everything you just said. (laughs) So please defend yourself and explain what you, what you have have brought what you well i wanted i wanted something that was extremely dry okay as far as drinks go right hence the vermouth on top of the bitters um and uh it's uh the and the scotch itself is um don't worry it's not a a super high-end single malt or anything like that it's it's a it's a trader joe's highland uh scotch okay so like a good uh, which is is still like a good blend like a nice yes yes it's still good but it's 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 also it's good on its own but it's it's really good in mixed drinks and so it's got it's not terribly smoky as far as 
scotches go. Sure. But it's um, it, it's it's got some interesting woodiness and grassiness, maybe a little bit of fruit in there. Uh, but uh, with 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 that, and then the the uh, the the bitter truth bitters, uh, and um, sugar cube, and the vermouth. It's it it is nice and dry and just nice to sip. I like it. Okay, very good. So really, just a scotch, a sugar, a bitters, and then a bit of vermouth on there. Exactly. Okay. Exactly. That's it's quite yummy. Now you know. To be fair, I have also been researching sort of historical drinks, and it turns out every combination of all of those ingredients has been done at some point or another, <laughs> um, at least in in some fashion or other. Um, it actually sounds like I've, I've been reading about a bar book that was written in the mid to late 1800s. Um, and it's not, they did a lot of, they called them like modified whiskey cocktails or modified mm. uh, old fashions because they were already calling them old fashions in the late, late 1800s. Um, <laughs> they were old fashioned then. No, they were because the, the true old fashioned originally came from like the late 17 to early 1800s. Anyway, we're not going to make this the cocktail cast, but... Um, one of these days. <laughs> one of these days, possibly today. Uh, <laughs> so yeah, no, there's there's such a thing. What did they call it? They would call it an improved drink, which was like uh-huh. an original cocktail recipe, and then you added whatever sort of you felt like or you were featuring that day. So that's actually what it what it does remind me of. So gotcha. much as I gave you a lot of crap for this, it is in a good, truly old fashioned uh, um, tradition. tradition. Yeah, I don't. I don't know. I'm not saying i know of your recipe specifically but it's very much in the in the wheelhouse of of sure. traditional cocktails um good so my <laughs> what are you drinking thank you my cocktail today is the bijou um hmm. which does supposedly come bless you what bless you thank you um it does supposedly come sneeze and all from some very old cocktail books that are 100 to 150 years old at this point um it's a combination of gin sweet vermouth and green chartreuse um mm. which green chartreuse is one of those ones that's like been made by monks in italy who had nothing <laughs> to do in the 15th century and like piled literally all of the herbs that they could possibly find in their mountain abodes into a thing and distilled them off so it's got like you know 120 herbs in it or something um mm-hmm. it's a difficult ingredient to use in cocktails because it has so much going on all by itself like i often just drink it with soda water um okay but in a bijou it's 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 quite good and then there's some orange bitters on top of it and it's just gotcha pretty simple once you have the the correct ingredients pretty simple drink to mix awesome um yeah so uh sounds yummy it it's it's quite yummy so uh i guess i'm going to go ahead and introduce the homework yes uh this homework was sent to us by show super fan slash person that i have described perhaps recently as keeping this podcast alive nat ryan (laughs) uh he he used our homework form to submit what he says is an assignment he was given many years ago in an undergraduate logic slash English class. Um, right. 
and just that logic slash English class. I'm interested. <laughs> yeah, and Nat can go ahead and write in again and correct me if I'm wrong, or maybe we should just start having him as the third host of this podcast. But um, <laughs> he, I want to say that he told me it was sort of a combination of like your college level rhetoric english like sure a lot of the stuff you do in speech class that wasn't speech um combined right. with your like english requirement type of class um sure but uh but i could i could just be wrong about that but i i have the bully pulpit and nat is silenced until he makes another <laughs> mean meme about me um so uh yeah, logic slash English class. I do. I'd I'd be interested to hear more about that myself. Um. So it's a the for the gentle listener who would like to read along at home, um, the book slash story. Well, it's a story in this case. Um, was assigned. It was called Tobias Wolf's short story Smokers. The short story was called Smokers. It was a short story written by Tobias Wolf. Um, way to put that simply thank you <laughs> I, I was going to say I've now now that I've said that 11 times um, <laughs> it's available online for free so hopefully we can put that in the yeah the, that'll go uh, in the show notes the uh, notes. I can find find this yeah. uh, this story online on the in the Atlantic website um, yes thank you for mm-hmm. putting that simply mm-hmm. um, so yeah Nat says it was an assignment he was given so the assignment besides reading the story um we have two questions what really happens in the story really is emphasized is the narrator reliable (laughs) so those are apparently the two questions that are the assignment um nat goes on to give give the context to say uh in the ensuing debate presumably pertaining to these two questions I, Nat, disagreed with my professor and that professor's favorite student, and the professor gave me a poor grade as a result. I want to mm-hmm. see if you guys come up with my answer or my professor's answer. Right. So, um, we have now read this short story. Uh, I'd like to pause and give the gentle listener a chance to do that. Mm-hmm. And thank you for doing that. Uh, we gave a shorter pause than normal because it's a short story and not a novel, exactly. so it, it took you any longer than this like i don't know what to tell you um (laughs) so yeah and michael you you read the short story yes i did i read the short story Mm -hmm. um i read it while i was taking a nice bath oh very nice i read Mm -hmm. it i think while i was uh getting two hours of sleep on a night when i had devoted eight to nine hours of sleep Mm -hmm. uh so um anything that's incorrect in my analysis i uh i blame on that um before we before we start analyzing the actual story and trying to do the homework that nat and his professor have assigned to us i would like to take a brief minute and analyze this actual assignment sure um because i'm gonna you know maybe take a risk here and maybe uh risk myself looking foolish i don't like this professor (laughs) and i realize that you know like interviewing wait are you talking about nat or nat's professor nat's professor 
Okay. I also don't like Nat, but that's a separate <laughs> issue that we've known about for years. Um, but, and, you know, I was going to say that, at, like when you're interviewing a prisoner who's already in prison, we only have one side of the story. Right. Um, and, you know, Nat is a big fibber, but... <laughs> um, I'm going to say that assuming all of the facts that Nat relates are correct here, uh, yep. there's a bunch of problems. Yeah. Would you agree with that, Michael? I would. I would very much agree. And I, I was wondering if you were going to take this tack because I also very much dislike this professor. Okay. Um, do you want to say, like, one thing about why you dislike him? I dislike this professor because, okay, I, I said I was interested in the concept of this class being a logic slash English class. Sure. That means I would expect uh, this professor to appreciate a well-formed argument, right? Discussion, yeah. And if the professor dislikes the premise of an argument and grades based on the premise of an argument, not based on the argument itself, that is a bad logic slash English teacher. That is bad <laughs> logic in and of itself. Exactly. Before you get even to the English or the teacher part, right? Because. Anyone who specializes in logic, which is obviously just a specialization of philosophy, should know that you can't grade based, you can't give an objective grade based on a subjective opinion. Nope. So if your opinion disagrees with mine and is well formed, I should still give you a good grade for it if I am teaching a logic slash English class. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. And I'm I'm dovetailing right into the wake of your um, trail trailblazing here. Uh, Good. <laughs> I, would, I I blazed it for you. At, at one some point in the future, we will do an entire episode devoted to that metaphor that I just did. Um, <laughs> but because this is exactly my problem, also mm -hmm. is that you shouldn't grade based on whether a student agrees with you or not. Yes. At least not yes, in exactly. an inherently subjective field like English. Right. Yep, 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 yep. It's That's... what I would in fact call illogical. Exactly. Yeah. Um... Now, my uh, my other problem with that, with, with, with this professor and with this assignment, is actually the two questions that we're given. <laughs> um, because... For, okay, so I'll take the second question first, right? Sure. Is the narrator reliable? If you <laughs> want to give a good essay assignment or discussion question or um, anything that will sort of produce good, like, intellectual um, insight or research or, uh, you know, words along similar lines that I can't think of, Everyone knows, like, I think I was taught this on my second day of workshops of how to be a good mm -hmm. teacher um, as, a, as a teaching assistant. You don't ask yes or no questions. Right. <laughs> Is the narrator reliable? No. Done. I did the assignment. Bye. Yep, exactly. <laughs> you know, and you can try to say, well, is the narrator reliable? Why or why not? And that's a little bit better, but it's still bad. Still. And also not yeah. here. We just are given, right. is the narrator reliable? Yes, they're the narrator. They're the only power in the story. Like, you can <laughs> right. just Shanghai this question so easily. 
Yep. And what mm-hmm. really happens in the story? Well, it's whatever the narrator says did. Um, and if you disagree <laughs> with that, you disagree with the only source we have for this story. Uh-huh, uh-huh. So I hate this whole assignment that we are about to do. <laughs> uh, I know what you mean. And and yeah, it, as far as like, uh, it, it's, it's a, a little bit of a leading question. Yes. Both of these questions put together. Like if this story were on trial, this question would be disqualified by its defense attorney. Yes. And now to be fair, I don't, I haven't confirmed with Nat. He says this is an assignment given to him by his professor. I don't know if, if this is verbatim the, the assignment that his professor gave him or if he kind of reworded it this way. But um, in, in, in either case, I don't, I don't, I don't really care either way, but it, it is kind of leading one way yeah. or the other. That uh, so, what really happens? You're already implying to me that what the narrator says happened didn't. Yes, exactly. Then you ask, "Is the narrator reliable?" You're already implying to me that the narrator is not reliable. Yeah, there's certainly <laughs> like a, a element of this, these questions that are like kind of grabbing you by the nose and pointing you down a certain path. Right. And yeah, I mean, I I don't know if my problem is with Nat or his professor technically, but. Um, I suspect that in order to not completely mischaracterize this assignment, enough of what the original one was came through that probably most of my problem is with the professor, much as I would like to have a problem with Nat. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, that said, let's, uh, let's discuss. Do this assignment? <laughs> yeah. Um... So I think the question is really getting at the end of the story here. Yeah. And primarily. To be fair, you know, that's sort of your classic um, short story thing, right? A short story often, and especially in a modern context, is known as something that leads you a certain way and then twists at the end somehow to violate your expectations. Exactly. That's the classic model of the the short story. Yeah. Um, there's there's a surprise at the end of some some sort right. or something. Um, so so to put it briefly, and you know the listener has all listeners have already read this, of course. Um, the yes. uh, the narrator the narrator isn't actually named, is it? I is was he? hoping you would say that because I couldn't find a name for him. I what is well, it's got to be a him based on the context. Right, right. It's it's a boys' school yeah. that they're all in. No, I don't think I don't think the narrator's ever named. Anyway, the the unnamed narrator at the end um, wants to room with this boy named Talbot, yes. uh, but is stuck rooming with this boy named Eugene, and or, or no, uh, he finds out that's this boy named Eugene that he has an immediate disliking to, uh, is rooming with Talbot next year, and so yes. he's upset about this. Uh, and then Talbot gets kicked out of school for smoking. Uh, so at the end, the narrator and Talbot get to room together. Right. So, so that's it. the 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 implication of the question would be to tell us that uh, the narrator tattled on Eugene, so that Eugene would get kicked out of school. That yeah, I that certainly. Which is, it's not, the, the narrator himself would deny that. In right. fact, explicitly denies that. But if you... So what the narrator tells yeah. us is that he was discovered, Eugene was discovered as smoking in the dorms and therefore got kicked out. Sure. The question is leading us to think that the narrator... Got him kicked tattled out. Tattled and got Eugene kicked out. Yeah. 
Now, I have four different interpretations of the story that I've thought of. Four? Four, right. four entire ones um, that I thought of in, you know, leading up to this podcast, trying to go to, do a good job by prepping beforehand at all, which I don't right. usually do, but I decided to this time. This one um, time. Yeah, I've actually never read any of the books we've discussed. I don't know if that's uh, too much of a revelation to drop. Oh, I, I, I can always tell. I'm sure the listeners yeah, can. Yeah, I'm sure they can. Um, <laughs> so... But no, I came up with four interpretations of of this story, the end of the story, and um, related matters. Um, mm-hmm. So, and one of them basically is the one that you just said. Uh, mm-hmm. Though it's slightly different, I I don't think it like the detail. It's it's one of those things where it's different in the details, but in the broad sure. implication, it's essentially the same. Um, but I'm gonna start from the beginning. So, interpretation one is me interpreting this as. A freshman in college who's not an English major and doesn't care and just wants to get his discussion points for the day. Right. Um, but doesn't care about the story or writing or reading in general. So here's that interpretation. Um, is this story smokers? They smoke in it and there's these boys who smoke mm-hmm. and you shouldn't smoke because it gives you cancer. And I just want this story to tell everyone not to smoke. Okay, mm-hmm. that's interpretation one. Now, interpretation two, um, and this is this is like potentially an actual actual. I don't know if it's good, but it's like a one I could see being proposed in an English classroom with and being taken seriously quite easily. Mm-hmm. is that there's a love triangle going on. Okay. So, um, and I get this from just the way that the narrator seems to be sort of obsessed with Talbot. Sure, okay, um, okay. And it comes out in the scene when Talbot and Eugene and the narrator are, like, in the closet, and there's just, you know... um. Partly because, now this story is written in 1976, according to the Atlantic's website, Um, so it's much closer to some of those, like, 30s and 40s, and into the 50s movies where, like, shorthand for sexual tension was when, like, the male main character met the female main character and either offered her a light or, like, lit a cigarette from his own mouth and handed it to her or Mm, something similar where like the sharing of cigarettes is like um you know sort of a a shorthand for sexual tension of a certain type Mm -hmm. um and you you don't have it doesn't have to be sexual necessarily it could be more of sort of a a non-erotic crush type of a, a situation right but basically it's the idea that Eugene and the narrator, in their different ways, are competing for Talbot's affections. Right. And Talbot as the... the um, Hot uh, girl. Yes, basically. <laughs> who, like, is rich and his father is famous. Like, he's the it kid at school. Yeah. Um, and so Eugene competes by basically sort of being a, a, a dog. Like a yes. needy, whiny pathetic dog who nevertheless can sort of win affection just by being so basically by how dogs do it by like right just being present and having big puppy dog eyes yeah and like affirming (laughs) literally everything good about you that you think about yourself 
Right. Um, I did hang out with my brother and his pit mix, who is basically not very bright, but basically is that dog. I hung out with them last <laughs> night, so this metaphor may be on my mind. But, um, <laughs> you know, she, like, comes up to you and puts her head in your lap and then brings you all her toys and then sits on your foot and looks at you adoringly. And it's like, you're so annoying, but you like me, and I can't not like that bad. <laughs> exactly. Right? So that's that's Eugene. Whereas the narrator is maybe more of a cat-like. Exactly, yes. So he's trying to win affection by being... By being cool. Yes. Um, by being sort of reticent and sort of making Talbot want to pursue him. Right. Trying to... Yeah, exactly. Trying to convince Talbot that he is worth it. Yeah. And you can see that... Um, there's there's a lot of this tension going on in the the section of the story where um talbot uh uh set, asks the narrator if he wants to play tennis tomorrow and then doesn't show up and then the narrator comes and is like hey were we gonna play tennis and talbot acts like he's never heard of this plan and the yep. narrator immediately is like, oh, I've never heard of this plan either. And it's this, like, fencing match between these two cat yes. personalities. Oh, that was one of my favorite little scenes there. Because, yeah, they, they, they go back and forth like, oh, no, we weren't planning on doing that. All right, I'll just leave. And then Talbot's like, nah, we'll do it. Okay. Right. <laughs> right. It's like they're daring each other with how far away they can walk, but also not willing to completely each let the other one walk away. Yep. Um, yep. Which might be like a sort of precursor or like type typological setup for the end of the story almost mm -hmm. as if the narrator and talbot are still each daring each other with how far they'll go to not walk away from each other and eugene the poor dumb ignorant dog becomes sort of the the um shuttlecock in this yeah. very bizarre and unhealthy badminton match <laughs> um so that's like that interpretation and again you could read and in again like a modern english class at any state university the default position i think would be to read sexual tension into it certainly um and you know it's an all-boys school and there are certain cliches about that so like you could go there if you right. wanted to which that's that's honestly why I would object to it. It's cliche. It's, it's so cliche <laughs> that it can't be true. Yep. Especially for an author as skilled as Tobias Wolf. It's, right. I don't... And he's he's Catholic, too. Oh, I didn't know that. I looked him up. Interesting. Yep. <laughs> um, which, I mean, having read... Doesn't necessarily exclude that, well, but... Well, I was going to say, having read Brideshead Revisited by Evelyn Waugh, who is distinctly Catholic and very distinctly buried some homosexual tension in that novel, <laughs> you know... It's not a an exclusive proposition, but it's it's no, certainly interesting. No. Anyway, and uh, but sure. what I think is that an author as skilled as Tobias Wolf, if he'd meant specific sexual tension, he would have put that in the story anywhere. And it's not. It's not anywhere that you could point to right. in the text and say this is sexual. But certainly, there's sort of an affection competition. Mm -hmm. Um that that you can point to that's in fact in nearly every line of the story in a certain sense right mm -hmm. um so that's the second interpretation i have of this story okay. uh the third one is that 
and it's related to this, and I had to do it in this order. The third one is that Nat himself is uh, Talbot in this story, and that you and I are Eugene and the narrator competing for his affections, and that whichever one comes up with <laughs> his interpretation of this story uh, uh -huh, will uh -huh. win his affections. Okay, and he very okay. teasingly did not include his interpretation in the email he sent us. Which is fair because it would prejudice us greatly. Right, right. Like, and that's that's kind of where I was coming down on this too with uh, whose questions are these? Because if they're the professors, that leads me to really to, to read one interpretation into Nat and the professor. And if they're Nat's questions, then that leads me to read an interpretation into Nat and the professor the other opposite right, way. Which makes me so. think that Nat, in order to foster this competition between you and me for his affections... <laughs> Which makes me think that he's maybe trying to take over the podcast. Um, oh, no. Yeah, no, he's going to force whichever of us, you know, is weak out. And then, yep. you know, anyway. Nope. See, I, I had a, I, I don't know if this, this bleeds into your fourth interpretation, but my, I, I, I thought of one that uh, kind of connects to that. This interpretation that yeah. um, Nat is the narrator the professor is Talbot, and the professor's favorite student is Eugene. Oh, man, that works too, doesn't it? <laughs> Except, yeah, Nat, in this scenario, I think Nat would have to go plant a lit cigarette in the professor's office. <laughs> yep. Um, which Nat conveniently left out of his own narrative of sending us his homework. Or, left out or, he did that. or... Here's what it is. The podcast episode that we are currently <laughs> recording is the lit cigarette. <laughs> and that's going to leave it illicitly in the professor's office. Yes, <laughs> exactly. Yeah, that makes the most sense out of anything either of us have said so far. Right, right. <laughs> uh. <laughs> Which really just comes down to um, here's here's a, a principle of of literary interpretation that uh, that everybody can take to their literature classes. This the principle is, is always the lit cigarette. This podcast is always the lit cigarette. No, what I was going <laughs> to say is always assume everyone is a mastermind. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Um, so if we assume that as a mastermind, then it makes sense for this podcast to be the lit cigarette. And I mean, you know. You never read the blog that Nat kept up until about nine years ago, I think. But he no. pretty much is a mastermind. Okay, all right. And, See? like, Nat is legit... I think I've said this before, one of the smartest people that I know. So, like, that's why I'm perfectly content attributing all of this dastardly nonsense to him. <laughs> I think he's perfectly capable of it. And Right, because, you know, we, we, we even did this a little meta-ness anyway questioning who's who's uh whose question is this because nats is the only side of the story we have right just exactly. like the narrator of smokers that's the only side we have exactly um, so is nat unreliable nat what really utterly, happened utterly unreliable <laughs> i think everything i've said about nat so far should add up to enough evidence to conclude that but if it hasn't <laughs> but I'm see i only have your nat. side of the story on this ethan that's true. <laughs> Which, when we get to Nat's other email, will become clear. You're right. <laughs> um, yeah. So, you go on to your fourth interpretation. Well, my fourth one is the more boring one compared to all of the discussion we've had, because it is the one that you said already. Not that you're 
interpretation sure. is boring, but because you said it already, it's somewhat well, repetitive. And, and it's, honestly, but here's my wrinkle on that interpretation, however. Yeah. Um, you and I've been trying desperately while we talked here to uh, find the specific passage where this happens just because like the wording i think is interesting uh which interpretation are you talking about that the narrator this is 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 my fourth one and your first one that you said initially the um where basically that what you said was that the narrator tattles on eugene right right um now, based on how the last few paragraphs of the story yes. go, I don't think the narrator tattles specifically. Sure. Um, what I think... Okay, so three or so paragraphs, four, uh, several paragraphs from the end, but not very far from the end. We get... Um, it, it's uh, Big John had caught Eugene smoking. Mm-hmm. He had come into Eugene's room and found him there alone and smelled cigarette smoke. Eugene had denied it, but Big John tore the room apart and found cigarettes and butts all over the place. Um, now, the la- the uh, chronologically speaking, the last thing to happen before that in the story is that the narrator visits Eugene and Talbot's room, or Eugene's room. Yep. I forget if Talbot lives there. But the narrator talks to Eugene alone in his room. Uh, and then Big John finds Eugene smoking, or right. finds a uh, smells smells of smoke. The implication is that the butts and cigarettes all over the room are probably Talbots. Mm-hmm. Um, but here was my thought: is that the narrator during that conversation with Eugene, he himself is smoking. Yep. Because we've established this this. Uh, where you know Eugene the narrator and Talbot all smoke together so if Eugene who clearly puppyishly thinks the narrator is still his friend sees the narrator smoking and is there it's just the two of them like Eugene isn't going to even bat an eyelash mm-hmm. the narrator you know puts out a cigarette or or just you know yeah presumably puts it out um before he leaves leaves Eugene alone in the room Though, then it, you're right, it is like, how does Big John know to go? Right. So he's got to be tipped off somehow? Somehow. Something. Yeah. I guess what I felt like was that Eugene would be, or that the narrator, rather, would be compromised if he was the one who tipped off Eugene, but maybe to Big John, these, like, interboy politics are not right. particularly interesting, so maybe he wouldn't make the connection. Sure, sure. But yeah, it, either way, it's basically the same as the initial right. interpretation you proposed. Right, which I don't even know if I, I necessarily subscribe to that. Like, there, right. I, I, there, there's a point at which, you know, the narrator doth protest too much, um, where in, I think it's like the fifth or sixth paragraph from the end, he says, the next day I walked by the dean's office and almost went in and told him everything. The problem was, if I told the dean about Talbot, he would find out about me too. The rules didn't set forth different punishments. According to the amount of smoke consumed, I even considered sending the dean an anonymous note, but I doubted it if it would get much attention. They were big on doing the gentlemanly thing at at Kuwait, Kuwait, something like that. Yeah. Anyway, your your pronunciation is easily as good as mine. Sure. Anyway, uh, like it, it's where he's talking there is about he's debating whether or not to turn Talbot in as well as someone who is smoking. 
to get right. you know this the, the prize that they've been going after to turn him in but if you backtrack that it's it's a defense of why he couldn't be the one to tattle on Eugene because if he did all of this that he just laid out they would find out about him too right so it, it but like having that whole paragraph with all those sentences in it seems like a bit too much of a protestation to me and so what does that tell you? About? That tells me that he's unreliable. But at the same time, we look at the, the everything here. He wins in the end, right? He gets Talbot yeah. as, as his roommate. But he's extremely bitter about it. He doesn't like it. <laughs> he's he's debating about turning Talbot in again. And so he's 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 not he he won on the outside, but he doesn't actually like the, the victory in the end. So the question is, did he actually win? And and if he actually did, why? What what was he actually gaining if he turned Eugene in? Well, he gains Talbot as his roommate, which is supposedly his goal the whole time. Right, supposedly, but then that turns around, and it seems like it's not his goal anymore because Talbot has has tarnished in his eyes. What what makes you say that Talbot is tarnished, or that the narrator doesn't want him? Well, and and again, I don't know. I don't know what my interpretation is on this. I can see it either way, but sure. um, to to take it from that side, that yeah. uh, that you know, the the narrator is reliable, and he stopped liking Talbot, and Talbot wins, or and uh, his his uh, his win in the end, the narrator's win in the end, isn't actually a win. Um, is um, he he leaves talking about Talbot. Um, talking to Talbot and he finds out that Talbot wants to room with Eugene. Uh, it's if, if we're taking this as a love triangle sort of thing, you know, in those terms, whether it's literal or not, um, or even an affection triangle. Exactly. Yeah. An that. affection triangle, you know, just, uh, yeah. Um, it seems that to the narrator, Talbot has chosen his rival explicitly before this. It had never been explicit. But then the revelation that Talbot chose Eugene. Right. That would be to the narrator. That would be the narrator is all of a sudden a scorned lover. Sure. So a scorned lover would hate both his competition and the object of his love. Sure. Potentially, yeah. Potentially. So that's that's where I'm kind of seeing this because it's it's at that moment when he turns around and finds out Eugene is, which it, honestly, this it depends on the motivation of the narrator here as to what the actual outcome is, which is what we're ultimately debating here. What does the narrator really want out of all this? Right. And, you know, of course he wants Talbot, but um, up until the end here, and then it's it's after he talks to Talbot. How's this? It's it's a conversation. The conversation is the last thing we get before this this controversial ending here. Um, uh, here it is. Um, uh, Eugene, uh, he says that he's rooming alone after he finds out Talbot and Eugene are rooming together. Um, uh, by the way, the narrator says, by the way, there's something I meant to tell you. What's that? That's Talbot. I'm not going to be able to help you with those essays anymore. So all of a sudden there, he's cutting off ties at that point. He shrugged. Okay. Yeah. I've got enough work of my own to do. I can't. So th there's him acting like the scorned lover a little bit. Right? Yeah, absolutely. Cutting those ties. Um, and so then they, they cut it off. They talk a little bit about going to basketball. And uh, I'm not going to basketball. I don't feel like going to basketball. That's why not. You know, again, acting like a scorned lover. You know, you, you've you've made the Talbot has made him mad and he's not going to tell Talbot how he's made him mad. <laughs> he's just, I don't want to go to basketball. That's why. 
done. Uh, and they they left. They they depart. Uh, when I got back to my room, the dorm was in an uproar. So here, okay, from the unreliable narrator side, he's establishing his alibi. He'd been talking with Talbot. He couldn't have he'd tattled on Eugene at this point. Uh, ah, which, you know, before t- before talking to Talbot, he had no reason to want Eugene gone permanently because he didn't know Eugene and Talbot were rooming together until he talks to Talbot. Right. But, you know, again, if he's unreliable, he could be making all of that that up, leaving a, a gap in there somewhere where he did find out they were rooming together, went and tattled, then got back to his room. Anyway, um, but from the uh, he's he is reliable standpoint, um, the narrator here is getting back to his room after talking to Talbot, scorning him uh, and feeling this, this hatred of Talbot now as a, as a result, or at least a strong dislike of Talbot as a result. Right. Um, then um, Eugene is kicked out. Talbot then asks uh, at the end, if he wants to room with him next year. And that, that actually comes paragraph after he is thinking about telling the Dean about Talbot too, and getting Talbot also kicked out. And he says, I'll think about it. Uh, the names have to be in by dinner time tonight. I said, I'll think about it. So again, acting like that scorned lover, I'll think about it. But again, from the unreliable narrator side, he could also be really enjoying the idea that now the object of his love is pursuing him again. Right. And so being that sort of cat-like thing, like, well, I'll think about letting you pet me, you know? <laughs> <laughs> if, if you really want it, you got to pursue me even more. And they do right. ultimately wind up rooming together. Their their names are submitted to the dean. Um, and then he, he pleads innocent here at the end in the final paragraph. For all I knew, Eugene had been spo- smoking when Big John came in the room. If you wanted to get technical about it, he was guilty as charged a hundred times over. It wasn't as if some great injustice had been done, which, again, is a little bit of the narrator doth protest too much. Yeah, it almost like it's almost like it cuts the story off too soon to know for sure what his true feelings were. So here's my interpretation of this story. I think that Tobias Wolf is simultaneously holding both. I think he wants both to be possible, and I think he wants that to be the debate. I I I I think he deliberately, I mean, obviously he deliberately left it ambiguous, but I think he left it ambiguous so much to the point that he, if you asked him, if you tied him down to a table and put him on the rack and tortured him to give you an answer, he would say both. <laughs> Wait, on a table and on the rack? On a table and on the rack. Okay. You cut him in half and torture both halves. <laughs> right, and then both halves would say both. Exactly. But then it would be unreliable as to whether they were trying to say, like, both, like, put me back together Right, exactly. <laughs> so that's that's where I would say um, both Nat and his professor are unreliable, and both of them are wrong because both answers are right. Well, I would tend to say that the professor was wrong. For giving that grade. Yeah, for yes. trying to put, almost no matter what the interpretation was, right. um, trying to put a one correct interpretation being the gradable... Yes. Uh, uh, element of the story when as you say and i think out of all the interpretations we've given which i count as anywhere between seven and 40 so far <laughs> um i think the most defensible one is that it's ambiguous is that tobias yes. wolf did um create and i'm bringing this up i will note charitably 
a Schrodinger's cat situation um, Woo! where both things can be correct at the same time until yes. you open the box and see whether Eugene was actually smoking. Um, right. Which is obviously how sh the Schrodinger's cat situation classically goes. Right, exactly. That's that's pretty much it. I mean, there are a lot of details throughout the story itself, which it, it is it is a very traditional short story format yeah. here with, with all these different details um, about... Um, yeah, uh, so, I, I mean, you you hear this this account. One of the most interesting ones is um, when uh, the narrator stays with his aunt and uncle for yeah. a bit, and uh, you get that it, it's right about in the middle of the story, which I can't believe is an accident, right? Because uh, then um, the aunt and uncle here it is. Uh, when I returned to school, my aunt and uncle wrote wrote my father a letter which he sent on to me. They said that I was selfish and unenterprising. They had welcomed me as a son. They had opened their hearts to me, but I had taken no interest in them or in their children, my cousins, who worshipped the very ground I walked on. They cited an incident when I was in the kitchen reading and the wind blew all my aunt's laundry off the line and I hadn't so much as asked if I could help. I just sat there and went on reading and eating peanuts. Finally, my uncle was missing a set of cufflinks that had great sentimental value for him, all things considered. They didn't think that my coming to Baltimore had worked out very well. They thought I would be happier somewhere else. I wrote back to my father denying all charges and making a few of my own. So here, this it's it's a little bit of a parallel here uh, towards the end yeah. that um, Eugene is the one who gets charged with something and can't deny it at the end. The narrator here is charged with things, but can defend himself uh, to Almost an extent like a anyway. reverse parallel. Yes, a reverse parallel, um, an antithetical parallelism. Yeah. Yeah. Um, to put it in Hebrew terms, obviously, um, yes. Uh, but uh, the uh, um, the the idea here of of a charge being laid and the defense being given, which to go back to our very first episode of Michael and Ethan in a Room with Scotch, oh, the story or the novel as a defense testimony. Oh yeah. I mean, it's the the narrator is the one with a voice. We've been saying that um, he gets to to defend this. This is this is his account, and from the the word go, he tells us how unlikable eugene is right but you know honestly as a reader i i don't know if i ever really disliked eugene <laughs> <laughs> especially for the age that he's at right you know, right was... like no he's quirky he's weird that's it's yeah. normal <laughs> like if this was an adult person i might be harsher on him but sure. because he's you know a high school kid which isn't necessarily clear for a couple paragraphs right at the beginning right but because he is, it's like, yeah, we were all weird one way or the other. Exactly. Exactly. I guess so, my yeah, I interpretation of the story, um, if I had to come down on one, does have to do with power dynamics. Yeah. Um, and that essentially the end of the story is the narrator's triumph over the coolest kid in school who should be right. the one with all the power. Um, right. And that dovetails with what you were just saying in a lot of ways. But um, the fact that the very last line, or the very last paragraph, anyway, uh, I'm not scrolling quickly. I already had it, obviously. <laughs> um, in the very last... So the first sentence of the very last paragraph, that evening Talbot submitted our names to the dean. Mm -hmm. After that very equivocal conversation we have highlighted already, Yep. In which 
you know, the narrator is kind of being cat-like and teasing. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think that in a nutshell, I would say this whole story is the narrator's tale of him going from a position of powerlessness and sort of taking power from Talbot, this coolest kid in school, and making Talbot be the one who wants something from the narrator. Sure. In general, um, as much as I, I dislike the whole power dynamic interpretation of things, I think that's maybe one of the most valid ways to look at this story. And I think, you know, I think that a lot of the unspoken things about the story dovetail into that. The, yeah. Like, you know, I think that if you read in a, an interpretation where the narrator was the one smoking in Eugene's room before Eugene got found out or maybe even did do the tattling to Big John. Right. Um that those are all like levers of power for the narrator that that's right. how he got the power and how he, what he used to um get Talbot to ultimately do what he wanted uh, mm-hmm. which is the end of the story's sort of um climactic version of that uh typological tennis match um you could call it a rhetorical tennis match about mm. an actual tennis match that comes mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> earlier in the story. Yep. Um, so, you know, again, as usual uh, here on Michael and Ethan in a room with scotch, um, I'm not necessarily willing to be tied down to one interpretation and I'm definitely willing to consider others. But like, if I did have to guess one, that's the one I would go with. Yeah, and I think, you know, I tend to, to fall on the side of the narrator's unreliable anyway. Yeah, um, the narrator, and that's the other answer to that original professor question. Yeah. Is the narrator is obviously always unreliable. Like, always, don't even ask always. that question, please. Like, And that's a different question to, is the narrator a villain? Yeah, like so. Huck Finn is the clear protagonist, you know, right. of his story. Right. He's and, very yeah, he's unreliable. An unreliable. As opposed to Humbert Humbert is clearly unreliable, but also clearly a villain. Yeah, absolutely. So. If he exists. If he exists, right? <laughs> exactly. Yeah, there. Did we do the homework? I, I'm i going to say yes. All right. <laughs> I give us A's. Good, good. That's what counts. How we grade one another. Yeah, how we grade ourselves. Exactly. Uh, So Nat did also in the tradition of every correspondence I've ever had with Nat, send us a approximately novel-length email, <laughs> um, which I do want us to respond to um, however Paragraph briefly. by paragraph. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Obviously, the way we respond to all literature. Exactly. <laughs> um, so... And, and, you know, as we do, we will obviously be competing for his affections. Right, um, right. So I've got this here. I'm just going to read it and we can sort of respond as the spirit moves us. Mm-hmm. Hey, fellas. I have a couple of little notes and questions, so I thought, I thought I'd send them all at once. Um, <laughs> number one. Hi, Michael. I'm not sure I've ever met you, but you seem like a swell guy. Well, gee, thanks. Yeah. So obviously competing for your affection immediately, trying to win you away from me, etc. Wait, does that make me the puppy dog and you the cat? No, I think that makes you the cool kid, Nat the puppy dog, and me the cat. Oh, I see. All right. So I'm going to plant a cigarette in Nat's room for his 
Dormaster and or wife to find um, to get him expelled from school and or marriage. But 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 wait, I'm not just some prize to be won. You are, and just uh, you know, show a little more skin to to uh, um, well, solidify I, your position. I was quoting this. Jasmine from Aladdin, so picture me in that outfit. I always do. Um. I will show you the world. Anyway. <laughs> two. Nat says, I'm only five episodes away from finishing every episode you have up. I only listen to episodes after I've read the book, and I have approximately three books left to read. So that's insane. Well, that's why he's the super fan. <laughs> yeah. I don't think we expected anyone to actually do that with the series, even though it's like... Right. Almost the most literal interpretation honestly, of the premise of the series. I, I know, like, but honestly, here's here's how I envisioned this podcast. Like, we just st- we we continue to accumulate a database of reviews and commentaries on books and and other things and all of that, and so people can just come and look at this vast quantity of things and pick the ones that are interesting to them. Not necessarily or, expecting someone to read them all, even in order, but like at all, all of them. Yeah. <laughs> Or just, like, listen to them for the entertainment value and not sure. read the things ever. Right. Is more, practically speaking, based on what I know of the world, how right. I sort of expected people to, to do it. Sure, sure. But, um, so yeah. Nat is either a super fan or insane, or both. Or both. Por que no right. last dos? Uh, <laughs> no, number three. Nat says... Well, I'm not actually upset with you for making me read Don Quixote. I do sometimes lament my lost youth and wonder who the old man in my mirror is. You and me both. Yeah, you you and me and Michael. Both. Th- both, yeah. <laughs> Number four, possibly the most controversial question, including yes. out of the homework and everything. Uh, which of you would win in a fight to the death? <laughs> well, we did establish in uh, uh, the, the the episodes on uh, um, uh, House of Special Purpose that uh, you win in a, a nerf duel. Yeah, that's true. So I think I'm going to claim like, victory in it, question number four. Historically speaking, but, you know, depending on the weapon, we'll see. <laughs> yeah, and I mean, now that you have sort of a... Uh, comeback kid kind of a thing to to uh strive for exactly exactly yeah you know, this is my redemption arc <laughs> <laughs> like uh whatever that guy on game of thrones is i have no idea <laughs> another thing i haven't seen um, he's the guy who slept with his twin but apparently we like him now i don't know oh really yeah that's what the internet tells me but uh, you know how reliable care. the internet is jamie um, yeah, that guy. Jamie Lannister. Thank you. Lannister. Um, hashtag Game of Thrones cast. <laughs> Number five. In one of your episodes discussing things not seen, Ethan casually commented that being invisible doesn't make you blind. I would like to point out that all caps, yes it does, stop, all caps, because the way eyes work is by absorbing visible light. Invisible eyes cannot see anything because the light is passing through them without being absorbed. I'm disappointed that you did not point out this flaw in the novel and Ethan's thinking. I, I did think of this, but it's one of those things where it's a willing suspension of disbelief. Like, it's kind of it's kind of a trope thing. Like, this gets pointed out with every invisibility sort of thing. 
Um, I'm thinking of like Star Trek with cloaking devices and and such. You know, how can a a ship that's cloaked see anything? It's a trope. I'll pass over it. It's, It's something that you just assume you go past and like if if it works. However, I will say that it is something that I think in a lot of invisibility literature is hinted at a little bit, that if you are invisible, your perception is also skewed. Um, that, um, uh, thinking of, like, in The Invisible Man in, by H.G. Wells, talking about invisibility and monstrosity being connected, I think that's united to this idea that he can't see clearly enough to not be a monster. Um, as opposed to then someone who is blind actually being able to see clearly. It's that funny little paradox right. um, there going on, like Tiresias. You know. Sure. Um, um, it, it, so it, to, to, in, a, in a metaphysical standpoint, I think it is nodded to in well-done literature about invisibility, but also, practically speaking, I think it's just a willing suspension of disbelief thing that you know if you are invisible, you aren't necessarily blind because... Magical science. So I agree with that interpretation. That was one of the two things I had thought of. Um, the second thing is that, Nat, you don't know how invisibility works. <laughs> like, maybe there's some sort of a metaphysical scrim in front of the eyes, but the eyes are still back there somewhere. Just because you can't see them doesn't mean they can't see you. How dare you be prejudiced against eyes? Yeah, I was originally going (laughs) to sort of do a mea culpa thing and and admit my defeat, but you know what? No. Like, you don't know how invisible eyes work. Maybe they are, uh, let me quote you, absorbing visible light on some other plane of existence that you just can't see with your limited perspective. Now who's the blind one? Boom. (laughs) nice very nice thank you thank you yeah um now that i've lost our only listener uh, (laughs) right (laughs) number six possibly actually the most interesting comment to me in this uh email yep you should try to find a book that the two of you have very different opinions on your commentary is good but you agree too much i've honestly been thinking that and like even before he brought this up and it, it is an interesting comment but yeah. i've been thinking we our, our ratings tend to be quite similar on a lot of books and yeah. like even in general i think most if not all except for the last couple we've both said buy the book um and then like maybe um uh and then we came to the end we had a little bit yeah, of a disagreement that's on that the one. one that i thought of but otherwise, yeah, we are very similar, which, you know, I've been thinking that and trying to find places to disagree, but I can't deny how I feel. <laughs> I mean, I can't deny how I feel, too, speaking of love triangles. Um, <laughs> and my other my other thing is that um, to really guarantee this, like, outcome that Nat suggests, I would almost, we would almost have to be doing books that one or the other of us had read before. Yeah. Um. And to me, more recently, it's been more interesting to do books that neither of us have read before. Right. It is interesting to do books that um, one or the other of us has read, but I think we get a more interesting discussion out of books that are new to both of us. Yeah. And, you know, that inherently makes for just an uncertain outcome. Like, maybe we'll completely disagree like we did with uh, Then We Came to the End to some extent. Um. But, you know, maybe we won't. So that's difficult. The other difficult part about the suggestion 
is the fact that we came up with 74 different interpretations for this short story smokers <laughs> for example um you know it's the fact that i think both of us are less interested in coming down on one yes. interpretation or even one opinion of a work rather than like exploring all of the possible interpretations and opinions right we're both essentially what we're saying um thralls of big brother and are really good at double think yes absolutely (laughs) two plus two is four five and 77 um yep coincidentally (laughs) the number of interpretations we came up with for smokers um and i don't honestly know how to escape that right exactly <laughs> but we'll do our yeah. best you know the only one other response like to sort of fulfill the suggestion i've thought of hmm. that i might do at some point on this show would be to do a john green novel oh okay because All right. i know that historically we have very different opinions of john green novels to be fair yeah i have never read a john green book i have only ever seen a john green movie oh really Yes. I thought you had read at least one of them. No, Sarah has read one of them. Yeah, I knew that. And informed me of her opinion of it. Right. And based on the passages that she read to me from it, I tended to share that same opinion. Sure. So. Yeah. And I mean, I think that would be an interesting one, though, to me, to like, as far as my own actual reading goes, um, the most interesting John Green book to read is the only one of his that i have not yet read and like who knows maybe we would be in exact agreement if we did read that one (laughs) right (laughs) so yeah yeah there you go this is this is uh actually does jive nicely with my history of things with nat where he's been in novels that i've written been one of my most reliable like critiquers like people who Mm. actually read these massive bad tomes that i send and give me helpful (laughs) advice and i feel like my two genres of response when he gives me critiques are either to say you're wrong about all of these and then to incorporate all of his suggestions into my next draft or Mm -hmm. to say yes you're right about all of these and then not to write a next draft so this seems this seems very similar like he's right about this piece of critique but also i'm we're we are probably never going to do it Yep. <laughs> based on who we are as people and podcasters. Right. Like it, it would be the sort of thing where to, to ensure this happens, we would have to bring a book that we know that we have differing opinions on. Yeah. And you know, that probably would mean that one or the other of us would not like the book. And I don't feel like either of us wants to do that. Right. To, to force to one or the other of us to read a book we don't like. Eh. Yeah. It'll it'll have to happen organically if yeah. we get to a book neither of us have read and then one of us doesn't like. Yeah. Which may happen. It might. Like, I don't I don't think we're afraid to disagree with each other. No. We're just also basically the same person. So yes. it's difficult to Disag- end up doing so. Yeah. Right. Yeah, that's yeah. I have nothing more to say. I agree. <laughs> yep. Yep. So, are you proud of us, Nat? <laughs> um nat if you're listening which you probably are uh please do feel free to send us your interpretation yes um and we'll either update it on one of our regular episodes or we'll do an entire special when we have nothing else to talk about (laughs) just on your interpretation 
and why one of us thinks it's wrong, one of us thinks it's right, but both of us want you to room with them next semester. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> uh, so thank you, Nat. Thank yep. you, gentle listener. Mm-hmm. Um, Michael, do you have anything to add before the end of the show? Nope. That's all I got. All right. Me too. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, thank you for listening. Join us on the Tapestry Radio Network with our other shows. Uh, we have Intermission, our audio drama podcast. We have Here's Johnny. Uh, the horror review podcast mm-hmm. um, that is very good. They're right and... in the middle of their uh, zombie season right now. I've, I've actually, like, I just uh, today listened to their episode on Night of the Living Dead, and it was really interesting. Very uh, good. Talking that's, about that's... the origin of zombies and such. So, yeah, oh, sure. you like that stuff. Zombies and all that. Uh, yeah, no, that's that's super good to to know. I definitely am also listening. I'm a very bad supporter of other podcasts. Uh, <laughs> I, I intend to listen to way more than I do. Um, but also, speaking of podcasts, I intend to listen to way more than I do. We have Pokemon United. Nope. Our Pokemon tabletop. Nope. RPG. Nope. United nope. show. Nope. The name of the right, podcast Michael, say is... Say it instead. What, what's the name of the podcast, Ethan? Wait. Poke, Pokemon Rollout. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> I was wrong right from the beginning. Right from I? the beginning. Wow. <laughs> so you're going to edit that part out and just put in what you're about to say where you say the right podcast. I will not alter incriminating evidence. This is a crime scene. <laughs> oh, yeah, well, that's why my wife just walked in with handcuffs. So. <laughs> Whoa. <laughs> uh, go on. The Pokemon one, say it. Pokemon Rollout, a Pokemon Tabletop United RPG podcast. I said a bunch of the right words. Just in the totally wrong order. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty good, though. <laughs> sure. I've only been on this podcast one time, and you guys are on episode, like, 197. Ah, 62. (laughs) Yeah, okay. (laughs) What episode are we on, Michael? I don't actually know, because we go in seasons, and so the numbers change. (laughs) Uh, And it's not like we put a consistent number in any season, so. Nah. This is, like, season three, episode 12? Sure. Yeah, I agree. Um... (laughs) Anyway, gentle listener, go listen to all of the other podcasts on our network that are more professional and have their crap together better than this one. <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, did I forget to say anything? I don't have the script in front of me. So no, that's I all right. Uh, just, you know, rate and review us on wherever you get your podcasts. Yeah. Um, Please give us five stars, even though we obviously don't deserve it. But if you give us five stars, then the torture that you have just endured in your ears will go into other people's ears. And And you you can share in your misery. Spread the misery. It's less for everybody. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, So, that said, gentle listener, just remember that it's our party and you'll cry if we want you to. (laughs) Bye. Okay, we love you. Bye-bye. Thank you.
obscurantism and obfuscation. Orally observed, gentle listener. Gentle listener. Gentle listener. Gentle listener. Obviated objects. Of oblivion. Of oblivion. Obambulating about. Offered unto you. Offered unto you. Offered unto you. In the Tapestry Radio Network. Tapestryradio.org. From our to yours.